I'd ask you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel, and we are going to be in chapters 11 and 12 this morning as we continue on your road trip, your sermon series that is looking at different characters throughout the Bible. Some characters that you've already met are characters who have a lot of notoriety. Some of them, maybe not so much. And we get to learn a lot from those characters who we don't see all the time in the Bible. This character today that we're going to look at this morning, he's not a hidden character. He is not a sidekick. He, he's, he's not a background character. You know a lot about him, and you know how important that he was. And you probably studied lessons about him in Sunday school. He was... He was a son, he was a brother, he was a warrior, he was a friend, a king, he was a husband, a God-fearing man, he was a writer, he was a musician, he was a shepherd. And we learn through the pages of the Old Testament, we learn a lot about David. And we learn a lot about what he did, and we learn a lot about how he ruled. And, and then we get into the New Testament, and we get a chance to see how more God-fearing people saw David years later, thousand years later through history, how his legacy has really lived on and on and on, but it wasn't always like that. Today we're going to look at a specific moment in his life, not everything, because let's face it, we can have an entire sermon series on David and go for about four years, right? Uh, and we've got about 40 minutes. So we're going to look at, at just a little snip, and, and I don't want to look so much as, at David as a whole, but we're going to look at David and his heart. Now I'm going to tell you ahead of time that there's a good chance that you've heard this story before. There's a good chance that you know this story. And I'm going to put a disclaimer on this story. You might see this disclaimer sometimes on television, or you see this disclaimer, uh, maybe your favorite podcast has it. It says, due to mature, uh, mature subject matter, parental discretion is advised. So I'm just going to put that out there, okay? Uh, because we are going to look at a specific moment in his life that, changed his life. It was a big moment, and he had a very big choice. We're going to be meeting David in the Old Testament, in Samuel chapter 2, and at this moment in his life, he is he's the king. He is the same man who killed Goliath with a sling and a stone. He is the same man who, who killed thousands of Philistines, some of them with the jaw of a dead animal that he found. He is, this is, is David. He's the one who beautifully would play the harp or the lyre and, and would sing worship songs to God. This man loved God. He, he loved him so much. But before we get started in his story, I want to pick up a verse. We're going to go back into the books of Moses. We're going to go back into Leviticus, and I want to start right here. I'm in Leviticus chapter 20, verse number 10, says this. If a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman who have committed adultery must be put to death. Kind of sounds harsh, right? We're, we're, not going to, we're not going to dive into the penalties of adultery today, but I want you to see what David would have saw, what he would have known in his life. These are the rules that govern his people. He would have known this. 
For those of you who might be taking notes, if you're writing this down, point number one in your notes is, is this. King David, the giant slayer, the leader of thousands, the lover of God, he knew what was permitted and what was not. He knew that. As close as David was to God, there is no way that David could use the excuse, well, I didn't know. Right? We use that excuse sometimes. Right? I was in the courtroom for a speeding ticket a few years ago. I'm not going to lie, speeding ticket. But there was a gal who got called up before I did, and she pled her case to the judge. She said this. She said, well, um, I was driving that day, but the speedometer in my car was broken, and so I didn't really know how fast I was going. And the judge says, I'm sorry, ignorance isn't an excuse. Like, you know this. And sometimes... We want to say that, you know what, I didn't know. We know it, right? David knew it. David knew this. So let's just picture King David, okay, lives in a palace. And I want to picture this, this, this beautiful uh, bedroom, and, and there's his, his bed, and you've got these, these double doors that open, and there's those white curtains that are just blowing in the breeze, right? And it's a nice summer evening, and he walks out there onto the, onto the patio or the, or the roof, and he's just looking over his kingdom, all of Jerusalem. He's just looking at all of these homes out there, saying, you know, these are my people. I'm the king. And maybe he takes this big breath, and he just pumps his chest out, and, and he tells himself, you're the man, you're the king, look at all of this. And I want to pick up this, the action here, I'm in Second Samuel, I'm in chapter 11, verse number 2, we read this, late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed, and he was walking on the roof of the palace, as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Right now, at this moment, it's that time when David crashes and burns. See, there's two strong forces that are going to come together right now in this moment, and only one force is going to win. The first force is called the right thing to do. The second force is called what I want to do. These are going to come together right now. I wonder if we've ever faced those two forces before. What we should do and what we want to do. But sometimes we say things like this after we make our choice. We say things like, oh, I lost the battle because I just couldn't say no. Right? Have we ever made that excuse? Have we ever said that? But see, here's the problem when we do that. You didn't lose the battle. You didn't. You actually got what you wanted out of that. Make sense? So you actually won and God lost the battle, right? Because you got what you wanted. You let the right thing to do lose in that moment. Our choices, right? Same thing with David right now. He asks one of the guys at the palace, he says, hey, you, you, anyone know who she is? You see her down there? And, and, and the guy says, hey, yeah, that's Uriah's wife down there. Ding, ding, ding. Should, should be a clue right there. And, and so he sins for her. Has Uriah's wife brought up to him? Now, Uriah's wife, we, we can imagine this, that from his, from his roof where he lives, he stepped out, 
Would it be fair to say if, if he could see Bathsheba in a bathtub, that they probably live pretty close by, right? So I don't know, maybe Uriah and Bathsheba, maybe they, they, they just moved to the neighborhood. They moved close to the palace because they knew it would be safe. But they're close. They live close. And we could say that they are pretty much neighbors of the palace. I'm going to reread that verse from Leviticus again. If a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman should uh, who have committed the adultery must be put to death. David chooses what he wanted over what is right. And that night had major consequences that not only would affect him and her the morning after, but it's going to affect their entire, his entire family forever. Even knowing this rule, David calls for Bathsheba, and, you know, they have a night together. It's only a couple of verses later when David realizes and he hears that something is wrong. I'm in 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm in verse number 5. Later, when Bathsheba, dis- Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent a message to David saying, I'm pregnant. I wonder how that went over. And I can almost imagine him putting his face in his hands like this, and he's wanting to FaceTime her so that he could see the two blue lines, right? Give me some proof about this. But, you know, it's not something that he would have expected. But it's a big deal now. Now, I'm going to give you some plot between now, uh, this moment, and verse 25. I'm going to try and condense this into, into about a minute because it's really important. The reason that Uriah was gone at that moment, was because he was in the military. And he was deployed out of town. He was deployed, actually, to war. And that's honorable, right? But what is dishonorable is this. The king, King David, now he's in a mess. How do we cover this up? So he sends for Uriah out to the front lines. He tells the general out there, hey, send Uriah back. You wouldn't imagine, like... They're like, why? What's up with that? He's taking one of our soldiers. So Uriah comes back, and King David says, you know what? Man, you've been working hard. Tell you what, why don't you go home and stay a couple of nights with your wife, and then you can go back. So we know what his plan is, right? He's, he's, he's hoping that Uriah will go home, and him and his wife will have a great night, and then Uriah, you're a daddy, that's not the way it works. Uriah said, he says, you know what? I've got brothers that are out on the battlefield right now. Uh Uh-uh, I'm not going home. He sleeps at the gate of the palace that night. The next day, David said, well, I got to try something else. And he tries getting getting him drunk and sending him home to be with his wife. And that doesn't work either. And here's the sad part about it. What David decides to do is to write a letter. He writes this letter, and he gives it to Uriah, and this is to the general. Now, Uriah can't read this letter. He can't. He just puts it in his little fanny pack or something, and he rides his horse back to battle, and he gives it to the general. And general looks at this scroll, and it says, From the king, in your next battle, put Uriah on the front lines, and then pull the rest of the army back so he dies. What? That doesn't make any sense. But he's a general, and there's a king. You do what you're told. So that's exactly what happened. 
Next battle, general, his name is Joab, sends Uriah and you know, the company of men out to battle and blows a whistle or there's a super secret signal and everyone runs back except for Uriah. Uriah dies out there. Now, when news gets back to Jerusalem, when it gets back to Bathsheba, now you've got a woman who lost her husband at war. And even in our day and age, some of us can feel that and the sorrow that that must bring. She's heartbroken when she gets the news that her husband's not coming back from deployment. Let's see her reaction. I'm back in Second uh, Samuel. I'm in chapter 11, verse 26. We read this. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When a period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son. Watch this. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. That's a pretty powerful statement. The Lord was displeased. You could, you could, you could really look at this and say, the Lord was displeased with the choice that David made. The choice. If you're taking notes, this is the second point in your notes this morning. Our sins are a result of our choices. No one else is to blame. No one else is to blame. Our sins are a result of our choices. David could not blame Bathsheba. He could not... Well, she was taking a bath. No, uh uh-uh. You can't blame her. You can't blame Uriah for being at war. You can't blame Goliath. You can't blame your father, Jesse. You can't blame your brothers. You know, this, this, it's, it's all you, David. It's all him. This didn't just happen. This was a choice. And he made a choice between what is right and what he wanted. That was his choice. Do you know that everything we want comes with a consequence? Everything we want has a consequence. Even choosing what is right has a consequence. Now, don't look at consequences always being negative. It's not always negative. But that's the reaction to your choices. You can choose what is right, and there is an expected, there is a a consequence to that. And it can be a positive consequence. I wonder if you've ever had that moment, though, when you've realized that man, you messed up. I messed up. And that guilt starts to set in. You know what I'm talking about, right? That guilt is here. And maybe you fall into that depression because of that guilt. We can go through the Bible and we can look through the Old Testament and by today's standards, literally diagnose David with depression because he fell into, with, with guilt and what's about to happen to his family. Yeah, That depression can sit in. But David did something that you and I might do. When when we know, when we know in our heart that we have done something that displeases God, we might, maybe we go and talk to our pastor, right? That's what David did. He's like, okay, this is on my heart and it's heavy. He goes to talk to his pastor, happens to be a prophet. Nathan Nathan is his name, and David just spills his guts out to to Nathan. And what's the prophet going to say in response? Let's see that. I'm in 2 Samuel. I'm in um, chapter 12, verse number 13. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. 
and you won't die for this sin. Imagine what great news that is for David. Ooh, wow. Dodge that bullet. I'm not going to die for this sin. But the prophet's not done. Very next verse, 14. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. Consequences because of a choice. And that has to hit really, really hard. Every single parent I know in this room will give up your life for your child's life. That's what we do as parents. But David will now watch his son die, and there is nothing that he can do. And it's all because David chose what he wanted over what was right. Because of his choice. Somebody else is going to pay now because of David's choice and David's sin. Somebody who didn't earn that sentence of death. Sometimes in our world, choices are made and people die for something that they didn't do. They had nothing to do with. Think of drunk driving episodes, right? Sometimes people die that had absolutely nothing to do. It wasn't their choice. Somebody chose in that moment also between what is right and what they want. Sometimes other people have to pay for our sins and our choices. You say, but David was a a God-fearing man. David loves God. He prays like crazy. And and you and I might think that also. We might say, you know what, but I'm I'm... I'm a, I'm a really good Christian. I know I did. I know I did something wrong. But I'm a really, really good Christian. This is important. This is point number three in your notes this morning, if you're writing these down. The depth of your faith is not enough to counter the worldly consequences of sin. You might have a really, really deep faith. But your faith is not deep enough to overcome and to counter the worldly consequences of sin. Now, you can be the best Christian in the world, but your sin today still has consequences. Now, your sin for eternity is forgiven, okay? But it doesn't mean that it doesn't have worldly consequences. God never said, okay, Christian, I'm going to forgive you for eternity, and you can get away with anything you want with no consequences here. Never said that. Our sin, even those of us who are so faithful, still has consequences. And the depth of our faith doesn't cover that. David's sin affected his family. His entire family line was now thrown into chaos. Now David is starting to realize how his sin is affecting others. He's trying to make it right, but it's too late. His family's going to be destroyed, messed up. And that guilt starts weighing really heavy on his heart. David did something that some of us might do. I wonder if anyone has gotten to that depression mode and if you got just so far away from God and you start writing, start keeping a diary. Anyone do that? Any, anyone kept a diary before? Okay, so we see that David starts keeping a journal. He starts writing and he's actually writing. He's writing to God. I'm going to read you from Psalm 38, David's words. My guilt overwhelms me. 
It is a burden too heavy to bear. I am exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. Verse 9, you know what I long for, Lord. You hear my every sigh. My heart beats wildly. My strength fails and I am going blind. For I am waiting for you, O Lord. You must answer me. Oh, Lord, my God, I am on the verge of collapse facing constant pain, but I confess my sins. I am deeply sorry for what I have done. Do not abandon me, oh, Lord. Do not stand at a distance, my God. Come quickly to help me, oh, Lord, my Savior. Did you hear it? Do you hear that, that guilt? Do you hear that desperation coming out of his words? This is a king. This is a warrior. Let me tell you something about God. Let me tell you something about God that you already know, but it's a good time to be reminded right now. God is a forgiving God. God is a forgiving God, but... I'm putting a but here. Because, again, if you're taking notes, here's the fourth point. Forgiveness is a gift Offered from God, not a privilege that God owes us. God doesn't owe us forgiveness. He gives it to us as a gift. It needs to be treated as a gift. It's not something that we get on, on you know, the day you come to Christ and, and you're baptized and everyone cheers for you. That, total forgiveness for all of your worldly sins is not part of the Christian package. It's not. Eternal sins? You know, stepping into heaven with your sins forgiven? Yeah, yes. But that gift is from God. It's him offering it. It's not for us to expect. I wonder if we have ever made choices based on knowing God's going to forgive me for this. Sometimes. Like, those aren't the choices that we want to talk to others about. Like, I know God's a forgiving God, and I know I'm going to lose this battle between what is right and what I want. But I know that God is a forgiving God. But it's not ours to exploit his forgiveness. Because here's the thing. When we, when we recognize that gift from God, and we accept his forgiveness, his gift... What it means is that we have had to admit to ourselves that we did something wrong, that we were out of line. So sometimes we want that forgiveness without coming to God and acknowledging and confessing what we have done, facing it as we accept that gift. I want you to see what David writes. I'm in Psalm 51. Again, he's writing to God, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone I have sinned. I have, I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Verse 7, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me 
and I will be whiter than snow. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Verse 16, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would give one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. He doesn't want a sacrifice. He wants a broken heart. And right now, David is broken. This mighty warrior, this spiritual leader, this man of God is so weak and spiritually weak right now. What God gives us is not given to us because we deserve it. His forgiveness isn't given to us because we earned it or we deserved it at all. I want you to see what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. I'm in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8. Paul writes this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. For it is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. You hear that? Here's Paul reminding his New Testament audience that what God gives you, one is grace. Grace is unmerited favor. You did not earn it. It is a gift from God. Here's the fifth point in your notes. The final point in your notes this morning is this. God has a glorious plan to get us out of the sinful situations that we get ourselves into. We do it. We make that choice. That sin is ours. Let me tell you something, and you know this too. You cannot take your sin with you into heaven. It doesn't go with us. Because the wages of sin is death. Wages are what you earn. The wages from your work, the job that you go to, the wages you earn is your paycheck. The wages of your sin is death. But God has a plan to get us all home with him. A death has to happen for that sin. It could be it could be yours. There's a lot of people in this world that say, I'm going to pay this myself. I am not going to accept this gift. But what God has done is he has, he has a plan for us. And he wants us to be on board this plan. I'm going to end in Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Paul writes this, Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sin. From us, God desires a broken spirit. A broken spirit is one that can recognize what it has done. Can recognize that it's a spirit that made that choice between what I want and what is right. A sacrifice for our sins, though, it's already been made. We just have to accept that gift. 
I told you I was wrapping up in Romans. I'm not. I'm going to wrap up in 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 5, verse 21. I'm a pastor. I'm going to get in as much scripture as I can here, okay? For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that he could be, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Your sin has to be paid for. Your cho- choice of what you want it has consequences. You can't take your sin with you. A death has to happen. But let me tell you something. God, He loved you so much that He gave His only Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? God says, I have a plan. I'm not going to change my plan. I just need you to accept my plan to bring you home. That's what I want. I want you home with me. I want all my children home. Believing in Jesus Christ is that plan. Accepting his death for ours. God says, that's the plan. The forgiveness that I have, that's part of this plan. That forgiveness doesn't come without Christ. He's got a plan for all of us. Will you pray with me this morning?